Our scripture today comes from the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, David. Thank you, Paul. Let's go before the Father in prayer, can we? Lord, oh, Father, it is so very good to be in your presence. Father, we need you. We need you to open up our hearts and transform us. Father, walking uh, with you is... Um, is increasingly more difficult in our culture. We need you to help us with that, Father. Lord, we pray that you would encourage us. Lord, that you would uh, empower us to walk with you by your grace. Father, now, as we open up your word and we look at what it means to be your disciple, we pray that you would uh, break through the hardness in our hearts that we might hear you and be transformed. Father, I pray, uh, I pray for myself, for this one that would open your word and preach your gospel. Lord, I pray that you would use this broken vessel to pour out good, clean, living water, that I would preach nothing that is not from you. Father, pray that I would decrease and you, you would increase for your glory and for the good of your people. In Christ we pray, amen, amen. It is a, a, a privilege and a pleasure to be with you this morning on the Sabbath morning um, as we continue to walk through the parables of Jesus as we see them from the book of Luke. We come to uh, a series of of, um, of illustrations, parables that Jesus gives us regarding the cost of discipleship. 
And at the outset, you might read these and think, well, if that's what it's all about, uh, I'm going somewhere else. And, and yet, yet, if God is God, and he is, then where else would you rather be? If God is God, and he is, then where else would you rather be? The question that we ask ourselves really isn't would we rather be here or there. The question is, is, is it worth it? We might ask it different ways. We might ask, uh, what's in it for me? Uh, we might ask, what, what are we going to gain from this or that? We might not even ask it out loud. We might just ask it in the quietness of our own hearts. But we're asking it. We ask it when the phone rings. We, we, our cell phone rings, it lights up, and, and what do we do? We look at it to see who, who's calling. And then, then we make a decision, right? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to hit answer? Or do you mute it right away? And if you recognize it as one of those phone numbers that belongs to uh, the extended car warranty because your warranty has expired on your Lamborghini, uh, that's fine. Just, just walk, walk with them. And, and when they start, you know, dialing in and diving in deeper, just ask them, are you talking about the, the warranty on my Lamborghini or my Corvette? You know, and, and then just listen, it's fun. Uh, so, but we're asking that question, is it worth it to answer this phone? I read a recent survey that, that said that um, adult children, more than ever before, are not answering phone calls from their parents. Some of you parents have experienced that. I've experienced that. And, and you, you, you call and you call and they don't answer. And then you text and they text and they don't, they don't answer. And then you just send another one. Hello, are you alive? Just let me know, yes or no. And I've even gotten a text back before that says, no, I'm not alive. <laughs> it's called ghosting. The kid has decided it's not worth it for me to answer this phone call at this time. Is it worth it? When the dog wants to go out and it's pouring down rain like it was in the middle of the night last night, the dog wants to go out, and you're asking yourself, is it worth it for me to get wet to take the dog out? We ask the questions, is it worth it? When we get a new job offer, is it worth it? What's in it for me? When we get an invitation to a party, is it worth it for me to say yes and to go? What's in it for me? When God calls us to be his disciple, we ask the same question somewhere down deep inside. Is it worth it, or is it going to cost me more than I'm willing to pay? Jesus is very clear here in this passage. He leaves nothing in the gray area. He calls us to be his disciples at the very cost of our lives even. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to say no? What's in it for me? It's the wrong question. The right question is, is he God? Is he God? And he is. If he's not God, then we're all wasting our time here. If he's not God, then, then we've just snap, appeared, and everything's just come out of nothing. But if he's God, and he is, if he's made us, and he has, if he has saved us, and he has, if he loves us unconditionally, and he does, if we will stand before him one day at that great judgment day, and we will, and he says, welcome come into my kingdom prepared for you. And he does. If he is God, and he is, my friends, then we are called to be his disciples. He gives us these, these, 
these instructions, his, a taste of his intentions in four different stories here. But before we dive into that, I think it's important for us to recognize what it is, uh, what the word disciple even means. It's more than just to, to believe that, hey, Jesus is uh, something to do with God, to have that intellectual knowledge that he is that. I grew up in, in Alabama in the deep south at a time when everyone knew there was a God. Even those who were atheists knew there was a God because you couldn't cross a state line unless you, unless you knew there was a God. They just didn't let you do that. Uh, second thing you had to do was declare that you were an Auburn fan or an Alabama fan. I mean, that's just the way it was back then. Everybody knew there was a God, even those of us that weren't Christians. If somebody had said, are you a Christian? I would have said, yes, I'm a Christian because I'm not a Jew and I'm not a Muslim, which I didn't even know what that was. But I'm not a Jew, therefore I'm a Christian. There was one or, one or the other. But I was not a disciple of Christ. I wasn't even a believer in Christ. It's more than just a, a, a national identity to say, hey, I'm a Christian. It's more than that. It's more than just to be a learner or, or a student of Jesus. Now, there, there's an element of that there, but, but it's more than that. Uh, I was cleaning out the boiler room yesterday because uh, my wife, uh, my beloved, thought that would be a good idea. And she was right, and I love organizations, so together we worked on it. But one of the things that, that I had to move around uh, was my father-in-law's golf clubs. Uh, that was hard. He, he, he went home to be with our Lord uh, in January of this, this year. Uh, today's his birthday. And my mother-in-law is in, a, uh, in an assistant home, living home in uh, Athens, Georgia, uh, quarantined because of covid and she's doing it alone. That's hard. So hard. Uh, what a great woman. But as I'm moving his golf clubs, I remember all the things that he taught me about golf. You know, about how to hold the club, about how to putt, about how to get out of a sand trap, which had lots of opportunities to practice. Uh, he taught me a lot about golf. And I was, I was a disciple of his when it came to being uh, a golfer. It didn't take, but, but I tried. But to be a disciple of Jesus is more than just to be a learner or a student of Jesus. I had a New Testament professor at Auburn that was a, he was a pastor, he was a doctor, a doctor in theology, but he, he wasn't a disciple of Jesus. He wasn't leading us to be disciples of Jesus. He didn't believe in the miracles. He didn't believe in the virgin birth. He didn't believe that Jesus was the only way, the truth, the life, and no man comes to the Father but, but through him. But he was a student of Jesus. But he wasn't a disciple. So to be a disciple of Jesus is deeper. It's, it's more than just being a student or being, being a learner. It is those things, but it is, it is so much more than that. It's to follow Jesus ever more closely, ever more intimately. Not perfect, but to be growing. In theological terms, we, we might call this the progressive nature of sanctification. So justification is like a light switch. You turn it on. Uh, and it's on. It's one time act. Doesn't go off again. Jesus makes it clear in John 6 that the Father uh, has got you. Jesus has you. Ephesians 1 says the Holy Spirit has you. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they have you. You can't let go. They're not going to let go of you. It's a one time thing, justification. Sanctification, another theological word that just means it's, it's, you're growing in Christ. You're becoming more and more holy, and, and you're, you're letting go more and more of sin. You're, you're, you're less and less caught and captured by, by sin and more and more captured by Christ, progressively moving closer and closer to, to Christ and having a, a deeper and deeper commitment 
to Christ, living ever more closely to Christ. That, that is the, 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 the essential characteristic of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. As you are committed to him ever more closely. Jesus lays out those, those intentions very clearly here. You're either a disciple growing more closely with him or you're not a disciple. There is no gray area here. He intends for us to be devoted to him even unto death, even unto life, which I'm convinced is more difficult. The first picture he gives us is one that involves our, our, our closest relationships. A lot of people were following him. In verse 25, you see it. A great crowds had accompanied him. They had accompanied him because he had, he had fed thousands, because they, he had done miracles, but all of them were not disciples of his. And he turns around and he, he weeds out the crowd. Do you want to be my disciple? Let me tell you what that's going to look like. And in verse 26, he begins to weed out the crowd. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Because who's gonna teach their children, hey, hate me? You don't teach your children that, do you? You teach your children to say, I'm gonna say I love you and you're gonna say I love you back. You teach your children there's an intimate relationship there. You don't teach your children to hate. So what's he getting at here? He's not saying those relationships are unimportant. Far from it. He's zeroed in on the most important relationships we have here on earth. Those family relationships. Everything else comes after that. Your relationship with your friends come after that. Your relationship with your job, with your school, your relationship uh, in, with, your, with your city, your relationship with your nation. Everything comes after your relationship with your husband, your wife, your children, your parents, your brother, your sister. Everything comes after that. Everything. He's saying these things are of utmost importance, except, except for me. Jesus is saying, I am more important even than those. So as you have given so much of your life to your mother, your father, your husband, your wife, your brothers, your sisters, your sons and daughters, as you've given so much to them, give more to me. Where our relationships are in conflict with our relationship with God, something has to give, and it's not God. God is saying that in relationship to being my disciple, these other things will be as if you hate them. You put them aside. Some of you have had to make those decisions in life. Where you've had to say to your parents, maybe, or to your, your children, or to a spouse, maybe, I am going to follow Jesus. It's not that I don't love you, but where you get in, in, in the way of my relationship with Jesus, I'm going to follow Jesus. Some of you have been around me enough to know that I had to make that decision as a freshman in college. And my parents said, you either give up Christianity or you're on your own. I didn't know much, but I knew that I wasn't letting go of Christ who wasn't letting go of me. Some of us have to make that decision. Will you become a disciple of Jesus Christ and follow him, even if it means letting go of those things? It's a matter of value. Who do you value more? We live in a culture where the new American idol is the family. Our kids, our trophy kids, Trophy wife, trophy husband, trophy toys, the family. And we, we sacrifice 
We sacrifice our family on the altar of success. My friends, I know that, that there's a, a pandemic that's supposedly going away, although someone named Delta has something to say about that, apparently. We still trust Jesus. As that goes away, some of you will be, you'll be encouraged to, to throw yourselves more and more and more and more into sports with your kids. Nothing wrong with sports with kids. Most of my kids have been athletes. I was an athlete through high school. Nothing wrong with that. It's good stuff. But when, when, you, when your travel club means that you're taking your, your kids out of church on Sunday, what you're teaching them is, you're teaching them a value lesson. You're teaching them that, that soccer, that baseball, that their success on the athletic field is more important than their relationship with God. I encourage you, as Jesus instructs you here, teach your children to be disciples of Christ above all else. I promise you, they're not gonna be playing soccer and baseball when they're 90. But hopefully they'll be worshiping Jesus. C.T. Studd, he was a, a missionary. Um, one of the first books I read after I became a believer was his, his biography. There's been times I wished I hadn't read that. One of the things he said that stuck with me is he said, some want to live within the sound of church and chapel bells. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Let me say that again. Some want to live within the sound of church and chapel bells. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Some of us want to live within the sound of church and chapel bells in our everyday life. We want the, we want the comfort of living the easy life with, without any struggles, without any pain, without any rejection. We don't want any of the hard stuff. We want the church and chapel bells. God calls us to something different. We look at Jesus and we say, Jesus, please don't interrupt our comfort. Don't interrupt our, interrupt our pleasure. Don't interrupt our trophy seeking with our families. Well, folks, Jesus doesn't heed those instructions, thankfully. The second picture he gives us is that of a cross. Look at verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now remember, this was before he was crucified. His, his disciples didn't know crucifixion was coming for him. They didn't know that. So they're hearing it from, from a different lens than we might be hearing it from, okay? So, or, or different, different earphones. They're not hearing it the same way that we might hear it. To, to carry your cross meant that you were carrying it towards your death. It also meant that you were carrying that cross through those streets and, and your friends and your family, your acquaintances, there were people mocking you. There were people that might have stood by you that were now turning away because the cross was the most humiliating form of execution. 
You're walking through the streets nearly naked or naked, and you're carrying this beam over your shoulder, and people are spitting on you, and they're jeering at you, and they're yelling at you, and they're mocking you. To carry your cross doesn't mean that you're dead. To carry your cross means that you're living and you're willing to take that rejection that will come your way if you follow Jesus Christ because you'd rather be rejected by man as a disciple of Christ than to be a disciple of man and be rejected by Christ. You can't have it both ways. If you will not carry your cross, you cannot be his disciple. Bonhoeffer said that when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And that's true. But it's not a physical death I think that Bonhoeffer's talking about, nor was it a physical death that Jesus is talking about there. Yes, there's a willingness to die for Christ, but the bigger picture is a willingness to live for Christ. It's a willingness to face the rejection when you make a different choice, a different choice as a, a college student or a high school student, your friends walk away from you rejecting you. It's a willingness to lose your job because you make a different ethical decision in your company. It's a willingness to have even church members look at you with disdain because you said, I'm gonna follow Christ in this. Are we willing to take up our cross daily and follow Jesus? The third picture he gives us really is in two pictures within a picture. One is about builders and one is about kings. Verse 28, and this is the longest of the pictures, the descriptions. He says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able the cost of building a house has greatly increased over the last year and a half, hasn't it? Uh, two years ago, if I built Isaac a loft bed, it would have cost about 150 bucks. Well, a um, week, week, week and a half ago, Isaac and I decided that's what we we're gonna do. It doesn't cost 150 bucks anymore. Um, this stuff is like gold. Um, Fort Knox is, has you know, the same guards that Lowe's has. Uh, it, was, it was funny, when we're going into the Lowe's to, to pick up the lumber, to buy the lumber, we did count the cost ahead of time. It was about $301, not $150. It was fascinating to me to see people bringing in little sticks and teeny tiny pieces of trim as if they were going back and taking gold back to a, to a gold merchant to exchange it for cash. We counted the cost before we built it to make sure we could finish the job. Which of you, if you're gonna follow Christ, doesn't first count the cost? Jesus is telling us here, it's gonna be costly. Not might be, not maybe. It will be costly if you decide to follow Jesus. If you wanna be his disciple, it's gonna be costly. So he's looking at the crowd, remember the picture, and he's saying that to them, and by this time, some of them are beginning to back towards the back of the crowd and wander away. They've decided they don't wanna follow Jesus. What about you? Once you count the cost, are you willing to follow Jesus? If you follow Jesus and you are his disciples, you might not be as, as successful as you might otherwise have been. Now, you might be more successful, right? You might, be, you might not be as wealthy as you might otherwise be. You might be more wealthy. 
you probably won't get the accolades and the trophies that you might otherwise have gotten here on earth. You probably won't get the, the promotions, all the promotions that you would have gotten otherwise. It's not always true, but for the most part it is. Are you willing to follow Christ? So you count the cost. The second part of that deals with kings. What king, if he wants to go to war, doesn't first determine whether or not he can win the war, right? Um, I, I, I wanna encourage you to be in, in prayer uh, for our uh, uh, military that are, um, that are in Afghanistan today. Spent some time yesterday with a, a fellow that's just come back and um, a lot, of, a lot of discouragement there as they're, they're counting the cost of a long battle uh, as well as the cost of what's happening today. So be, be in prayer for our men and women that are there, please. But what king, when he counts the cost, does it say, hey, I don't have what it takes to win this war. I am therefore gonna go make peace with my adversary. This is the negative on this part. This is the only one here that's in the negative. What Jesus is saying here, here is, you can't win the war with me. There's nothing you can do to win the war for your righteousness. You can't do it. You're not enough. You do not have the righteousness it takes to have eternal life. You'd better make peace with me because Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done that we might have peace with him and life eternal with him. So the king makes peace with his adversary. My friends, we can make peace with God the Father because God the Father has made peace with us through Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying in some places, count the cost of being my disciple. When it comes to the king's situation, he's saying count the cost of not being my disciple. You cannot win that war. You have to have Christ. Abraham Kuyper said that wherever a man may stand, whatever he may do, to whatever he may apply his hand in agriculture, in commerce, in industry, or in his mind, in the world of art and science, he is in what, whatsoever it may be, constantly standing before the face of his God. He is employed in the service of his God. He has strictly to obey his God. And above all, he has to aim at the glory of his God. If we're going to aim at the glory of God, if we recognize we're constantly standing before our God, then we, we, we hate our father, mother, sister, brother. We take up our cross. We count the cost. But we face God and we follow where he leads. Do you really want to be his disciple? He gives us one more picture where he wraps up the others. And that involves salt. Not salt as we know it, but salt as they knew it. Verse 34, he says, salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's of no use, either for the soil or the manure pile, thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, and he wraps it all up with that. What does salt have to do with any of this? Well, it's not table salt like you and I might have. It doesn't come in a neat little blue box with a, a little girl on it holding an umbrella and salt pouring over her. It's not what it is. That, what we have is, is nearly pure uh, sodium chloride. And if you pour that blue box of, of our table salt into a, uh, a flour sifter or some other sieve and you run hot water on it, what, what happens? Eventually it's all gonna wash out, isn't it? And you're gonna be left with nothing in that little sifter. 
That wasn't what they had. The salt they had was used for preservatives. And it was salt that they had gathered from the, uh, the Dead Sea. And it had some sodium chloride in it. But it had a whole lot of other minerals and impurities in it. So that when you washed all of that away, the salt was gone. But what's left is all these little grains and, and, and crystals and, and little rocks. And you don't want to put that in your mouth. It has lost its saltiness. It's good for nothing but, but, but to be thrown out into the street to fill potholes. What Jesus is saying to these individuals is, and to you and to me, is that if we're going to walk through this life and live in a way that is not as his disciple, then we're like that salt. This lost its saltiness. We're good for nothing except to be thrown out into the street to fill potholes. For many, many of us as Christians in America, and even in my own life at times, and I'm sure yours, we compromise here and there. We water down our faith. We add things to our faith in Christ alone. In some little ways, maybe big ways, it becomes Jesus plus something else. And when we do that, we begin to lose our saltiness. God calls us back to being a disciple of Christ and Christ alone. But when we walk in that way, when we walk as Christ has called us to walk, then that's when we begin to experience in, in ever-increasing ways the, the pleasure of that ever-deepening, ever-more-intimate relationship with Jesus. Harken back to Eric Liddell for a moment. Eric said, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. I wish I had a Scottish brogue. <laughs> when I run, I feel his pleasure. I butchered that, didn't I? But when he said it in Chariots of Fire, it sounded so cool. But you get the picture, right? God made me fast, and so when I run, I feel his pleasure. My friends, God made you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And when you walk and live and breathe and love as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you will know his pleasure. These other things promise so much and deliver so little. And they lead you away from that intimate dependence on Jesus Christ, your Lord. He's called us to be his disciples. Now we don't, we don't have time to, to walk into the house and the, um, how do you become a disciple? How do you live as a disciple? What does it look like to be a disciple of Christ? We don't have time to do all of that today. I can tell you, we're gonna, I'll give you a couple of implementations. Uh, implications in a moment, but I want to uh, let you know that on the 12th of September, so in four weeks, we're going to talk about that. Uh, what does it mean to walk with Christ and how do you do that as a disciple? We're going to do that at our 8.30 worship service, not 9 o'clock because we're moving to 8.30, and our 11 o'clock worship service, and then in between those two, two times, we're going to start Sunday school. Um, uh, everything else, you know, working out. That's our hope, as long as, you know, the COVID and all that stuff stays away. That's our hope, that's to start Sunday school back up again. 8.30 worship service, 11th worship service, and then between that time, we're going to talk about, uh, together, we're going to look at what, how we can be disciples of Jesus Christ here at EP. Just briefly, let me give you a couple of impl implications, though. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is, uh, well, it's like a marriage, 
Uh, we talked about justification, sanctification. Let me go back there for a moment. If justification is the wedding, that is the pastor says, do you? I do. Do you? I do. I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss the bride. That's the wedding, and it's done. Okay? And then the marriage begins. That marriage is, is discipleship. That's being a disciple of Jesus Christ, where that husband and wife are growing in an ever more intimate relationship with each other. They see each other's faults more and more. Sandy, I've been married for 33 years um, in about a week and a half. I, I see more of her faults. She now has two. She used to have only one. She says, a lot of mine. I have a lot more than that. And she loves me more. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that a surprise to you? Well, as we grow in our relationship with Christ, we don't discover more of his faults because he has none. What we do discover, though, is that walking with Christ is hard. But our faith deepens. And so we love him all the more. And our, our disciple relationship with Christ grows ever more as we walk with him. Walking with Christ always includes trusting Jesus, not just believing with our head, but believing and trusting with our head and our heart and our hands, the way we think, the way we love, the way we live, our head, heart, hands. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, it involves the peace that we have from Christ because we trust him even in the hard times. Not just when things are easy, but when things are hard. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ means that we can let go of our performance mentality of saying that I must do this or Jesus won't love me. It switches to, because Jesus loves me, I will do this. You see, it's different. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ that we don't, means that we don't waste our time worshiping impotent, godlike things and idols in this world. We worship Christ and Christ alone. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ means that we can trust his identity in us. We can trust our union with Christ, that he is in us and we are in him. God made you to live as a disciple, friends. And as you live as a disciple in that ever-increasing, ever-deepening intimacy and trust with the Father, then you know more and more and more of the pleasure, the strength of walking with your King. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your patience on us, your children. Lord, thank you for letting us come to you again and again and again with our failures, with our woes, with our repentances. Thank you for hearing those. Lord, you're so faithful even when we are so unfaithful. Lord, thank you for being enough. Thank you for calling us to be a disciple. Lord, I pray uh, for those in this room that have never met you. I pray that you would change that even now and they would begin that relationship with Jesus Christ. They would say to you, Lord, I do trust you. Forgive me my sin and help me to walk with you in newness of life. Father, for those of us that, that are frankly wandering further and farther from, from you, uh, Lord, that have turned a blind eye to you and hardened our heart, Lord, I pray that you break through that hard heart. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to see your glory and your grace. Lord, that as you have run hard after us, I pray that we would run hard after you. Lord Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.